You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. We started a series of sermons and messages last week called The Glory of His Grace. There's no way to leave that alone with one message. So I'm going to be teaching and preaching on this for the next several weeks. Not next week, of course, because Pastor Curtis is in town. But I want to talk to you about the glory of His grace, part two. Did you get anything out of that last week? The glory of His grace. The glory of His grace. Paul said, praise the glory of His grace. So we just took a little moment to stop and praise His grace. Praise the glory of His grace. People don't do that because they're afraid it's taking glory from God, but His grace is His glory. Hallelujah. Amen. The problem with, uh, with understanding what grace means is that we've, most of us have never really been taught. We've heard the word here and there, but every time, every time somebody says you're saved by grace, most of us is, get it canceled by saying, and that doesn't mean you can just live any way you want to. They don't, they, rather than give you a real definition of what grace means, it is this, unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor. That God loved you just like you were, hallelujah, and then began to empower you based upon that grace, to empower you to live the kind of way that's pleasing to Him. But that's not, that was not His first point. His first point was to save you, to get you to go to heaven. Amen. God wants to spend eternity with you, and He knew He had to do something. If you could just believe it, if you could just reverse the curse of, of Adam and Eve's sin by, by believing, and you can because here, here's why. Listen to me. The very first sin we always think is the, the stealing of a piece of fruit, taking a piece of fruit that wasn't theirs. But in actuality, the very first sin was unbelief. She began to believe. She began to believe something. That was the first sin for Adam that passed along to us, the one we talked about, the, the eating of the fruit. But for Eve, it was believing a lie, believing the enemy of God. And her vision for, for that tree changed. Because remember, one minute she looked at it, she said, that, that, if we eat that tree, we die. Apparently, she thought it was poison. Right after she started listening to, to the devil, she, the Bible says she saw the tree, that it was good for food. Her vision changed because of what she believed changed. Now, what you believe about the world, what you believe about yourself, will change based on what you believe. What, what, you, what you see, how you see yourself, how you see the world, will change based on what you believe. Uh, anybody here afraid of snakes? See your hands. See the hands of everybody in here is afraid of snakes. You know, a, it's a small percentage of snakes that are poisonous. You don't care. Because you, you have an opinion about snakes. Right? Are you hearing me? It's a small percentage of snakes that are poisonous. Most of the snakes on, on, in the North American continent are not poisonous. There's really only four that are poisonous. The coral snake, the rattlesnake, the copperhead, and the water moccasin. Unfortunately, all four of those live in Texas and Oklahoma. <laughs> when they have family reunions, they come here. <laughs> but... You shouldn't be afraid of all snakes, 
really. But the reason you are is because you don't want to take any chances for the bad ones. Because you don't know, if you, don't, you see a snake, you don't think, oh, I wonder if it's poisonous. No, you think, ah, run. That's what you think. You just get out of here. You don't think, I wonder if it's poisonous. You get out of the way. But with that kind of thinking, you see, that's what legalism has done to the church. Made us afraid of everything. Made us afraid of everything. Fear, insecurity, guilt, loneliness, exile, anxiety, and frustration. The fig leaf is back on men. They put it back, they keep putting it back on it. Every time Jesus makes us free, you hear, you hear somebody say something, and they try to put more back on you. It's like that guy that said, I want to buy a new boomerang. And by the way, could you tell me how to throw away my old one? That's the way legalism works. You, you get rid of it, and then it comes back to you, you know? <laughs> Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And God saw, Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Everybody say continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Ooh. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What does grace mean here in this context? It means an escape from judgment. The very first mention of the word grace in the Bible is right here. And its first setting is that when you get grace, it means you escape judgment. You escape judgment. I am saved by escaping judgment. When the Bible says, I am saved by grace through faith, that means you have been saved. That means you have escaped judgment. You have a surrogate judgment. God put all the judgment that was ever going to come to you over onto Jesus. That's what it means to be saved by grace. Somebody else has taken your part in judgment. Oh, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. If you had not heard any good news lately, you heard some today. Somebody was judged on your part. And there is such a thing as called double jeopardy. The double jeopardy is against the law in this country. Amen. And it is in the Bible too. You find it in the law of Moses. Double jeopardy was, was forbidden. You could not try a, a person if he's considered innocent. If he's found innocent, you cannot try him again for the same crime. So if God tried Jesus for our crimes, you will never be tried for your crimes. Glory to God. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. The word here is Cain. Cain. It's spelled C-H-E-N. It's a Hebrew word pronounced Cain, like C-A-I-N. It just means grace, kindness, and favor. So it, doesn't, it, seems, it seems odd to me. It doesn't say that Noah necessarily was good. If he had been good, he wouldn't need grace. He found grace in this wicked people. But now look, notice verse 9. 
These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Don't, don't, twist, these, don't twist this around. Don't twist it around and put verse 9 before verse 8, as is commonly done in religion. Well, the reason God loved Noah and showed him grace is because he was a good man. He was just, no, 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 no. Verse 9 comes after verse 8. His goodness and his decency and his righteousness came after he found grace. Because if he, he was already good and righteous, he didn't need grace. Grace is a favor that comes on you when you don't deserve it. Kind of like all of you got saved. You didn't deserve it when God saved you. Amen. Miss Ann did, but nobody else in the room did. <laughs> no, none of us deserved it. Grace made him right. Grace made him decent. Grace made him responsible. Grace made him. Take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter 2. We have proved this over and over and over with lives. We've proven it in this church with several lives that were changed by hearing this message of grace. The grace message is not a grace of, uh, not a message that, that tells you you can sin and get away with it. That's, that's just bull. And it's lunatics who make us, make us sound like we're saying that. We're saying that hammering people with law never makes them right. Paul kept the law better than anybody, and he went about killing Christians. In fact, he said he kept the law blamelessly in Philippians chapter 3, and yet he was still trying to track Stephen down and get him killed. That's what the law does. The law never makes anybody holy. Even though it is holy, it cannot make you holy by keeping it. Amen, amen, amen. So what's the, what's the answer? God had to do something bigger than that. And make you holy on the basis of the, the, the holiness of Jesus. So that your faith then could be intact. And the Bible says he, he made it by grace. That it might be sure. That the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not, not, not maybe. maybe may, I hope I go to heaven. I, I can tell if somebody's going to heaven or not. You going to heaven? All you got to do is ask them. You going to heaven? They say, I hope so. You're not. You're not. I'm, I'm, your hope is in vain. You're not. Because if you're hoping so, then you're not sure what Jesus did. You're hoping your actions get you there. That's real good. If you're hoping so, you're not sure of what Jesus did. You're only still banking on how good you've been. I've lived in Oklahoma too long to know. Ain't nobody here good enough for that. Worse yet, I've lived in Texas longer. Hey, sure ain't nobody down there good enough for it. <laughs> now I offended both sides of the river, didn't I? <laughs> Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men. What does it say? Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this world. Now, wait a minute. My own soul didn't teach me that. I, my soul let me get away with all kinds of stuff. My soul said it makes sense to overeat. My soul said it, takes, it makes sense to take these drugs. 
My soul said it makes sense to take what doesn't belong to me. My soul said, well, he owed it to me. My soul said, well, she's too good looking to pass up. My soul didn't let me get, uh, let me get away with all that. But the grace that came to me began to teach me that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Grace teaches you to live decently. I don't have to get up here and bark about it. All I've got to do is tell you what you have available to you. What you have available to you. The more I bark at you about your sin, the worse you're going to sin. You're just going to get real good at hiding it. I've been to church a long time. I know what I'm talking about. But first, the first thought of grace is that it is an escape from judgment. Verse 9, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. It's an escape from judgment. And secondly, it's an endowment of righteousness. An endowment. Now listen to me. He was righteous on the basis of grace. He was saved by grace in his day. Not saved by the blood of Jesus. Wasn't in covenant in that respect. But he was saved from hellfire and from this judgment by grace. Abraham was later saved by faith. And this is a perfect picture of how you're saved. You're saved by both. By grace through faith. Noah and Abraham, the two principal characters, right back to back. Noah, and then comes Abraham. And you were saved by grace through faith, the same way both these guys were saved. Now his was an endowment. Yours is an imputation. Not an amputation, an imputation. It was imputed to you, this righteousness. That means... God reckoned it and counted it as though it's real. That means God talks to you as though you have never sinned. That means God thinks of you as though you are perfect in every way. That means when God looks at you, He thinks He's looking at Jesus. This is an imputation that God makes. A crediting, if you will. He looks at your bill, paid in full. Wow. Oh, holler's clean. The devil's standing down there shouting, He's not clean. I can tell you some stuff. I can tell you some stuff about that holler. You must, have, you must be mistaken, Mr. Devil. This is a different guy than you're talking about. You, got, you, you know the old guy. This is, I made him a new, new guy. I made him again another. That record that you got is an old record. It's old news. Because he got the good news. Amen. I was uh, doing my son's wedding years ago. I think it was Brandon's wedding in West Texas. We were at the church. People were coming in. Somebody came to me and said, Pastor, we don't have, we don't have the, the wine for the communion. Because do, we do communion at wedding. So, uh, can you go get some grape juice? 
I said, yeah, sure. And I'm in my tuxedo. I've got a tuxedo on. I look good. <laughs> Too good to be going to a convenience store. <laughs> but that's what I did when I got in my car. Drove down to the convenience store and walked in. Every eye in the place was on me. I've never been so looked at. <laughs> I walk in there, and I could feel them looking at me, feeling my eyes on the back of my head, you know. They're all looking at me. I walk down the aisle, got my grape juice, and every time I look up, somebody's staring at me. Hi. And I walked back to the counter. I walked up there, and I, and I just had this thought. You know why they're staring at me? Because they know I'm not dressed for that event. I'm dressed for another event. It's going to follow this event. Amen. Those people you work with, they look at you and say, Are you crazy? You give how much money to your church? Wow. Sorry, buddy. I'm not dressed for this event alone. Amen. <laughs> I'm dressing for a future event. Glory to God. Do you, 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 you really just talk about Jesus all the time? Hey, 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 I didn't get dressed up for you. I got dressed up for another event. Glory to God. I've got, the, I've got a ticket to some, some other event that, that you may not know anything about. Apparently, you're not dressed for it. He has clothed us in his righteousness. Amen. You're dressed for the event called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Glory to God. You're, you're clothed and rest, dressed and ready. Now, when you're walking around on this planet looking like that, you look, you look crazy to them. That's why they can't figure you out. That's why they say the mean things to you they do. What are you, an idiot? Wear flip-flops to a convenience store. I didn't dress for this event. Come on, tell somebody, I'm not dressed for this event. I'm going someplace else. Amen. It's not, in, it's not an endowment. It was an endowment for, for Noah, but it's an endowment. It's an imputed righteousness you have. Romans 4, verse 8. Just, just turn there real quick. Like Romans 4, and verse 8. And blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Verse 9, Romans 4. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not, be, be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Now let me teach you a little Greek. Imputed here is the word logizomai. Logizomai. If you're taking notes, it's L-O-G-I, logic, you see. L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Logizomai, and it means the way God thinks. It's imputed to you, not to make you think that way, but to show you how God thinks about you. God thinks of you as righteous. And then he says this, that the grace of God has revealed, was revealed to us. Let me, let me 
go back to Titus chapter, chapter 2 for just a minute. Verse, thir verse 13 of that chapter says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, people zealous of good works. So the, the teaching part of grace is to make you able to do. Right after God says all these things about, about Noah. God showed grace to Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And then he says, Noah was a good man and righteous in his generations. And then he says, now I want you to build an ark. All that God has given you is for a reason. He wants you and expects you, just like you do your kids, to be busy. As long as you've got it straight, that you're not trying to work to go to heaven. When you get that straight, that you're not working for heaven. You're working because you're going to heaven. Amen. He wants everybody in the church to have a job. Not just to bring in a paycheck, but he wants us all to be busy in the ministry some way. Running a soundboard, working in the nursery, doing something, cleaning the building, something, some way that you can find to serve God. No, Moses, I mean Noah, felt like, build a boat. Build a boat? I'll do it. I always wanted one. <laughs> but first you've got to tell me what it is. What is a boat? Well, it's going to rain. It's going to what? What's rain? Water's going to fall from the sky. Ah! It has never happened before. What's going to happen now? It had never rained. Don't forget that. Why would it need a boat in a place where it never rains? Build a boat. Make it this. You know how long it was? It was as long as a football field and half again. 450 yards long, 300 cubits, 18 inches about. It was a big boat, and it was pretty narrow. I saw a demonstration done about, about the boat one time. It was built more like modern aircraft carriers, long and narrow. And that's the kind of boat you need for buoyancy in global tidal waves. Can you imagine what a tidal wave would look like you're not working for heaven, you're working for God, you're going to heaven. That's good. Who said that? Anyway, <laughs> can you imagine what a tidal wave would look like with no land breaks? That might just go around and around and around. And he was riding these big waves on a global flood. Scientists know that there's no way, I've, there's lots of argument about it, but a lot of even, even secular scientists Refuse to believe that the Himalayas came up from under the water. They refuse to believe that the Himalayas, as high as they are, they do not believe that they could have gotten that high from under the ocean. Now, some of them do, but, but some of them say that just is impossible. The Himalayas were never under the ocean. And yet, they find seashells on top of the Himalayas. <laughs> How they got there, I don't know. We are, yeah, we do know. 
Worldwide cataclysmic flood. That's how they got there. And as one guy survived, it was, he, his job was not to build a boat. I want you to hear me now. His job was not to build a boat. His job was to save humanity. But it couldn't be done without the tedium of building a doggone boat. <laughs> when you're asked to work in the nursery, you're not working in the nursery. You might just be raising the next Billy Graham. You never know what you're doing with the little bit that you do. It seems tedious. Oh, man. Got to pin this microphone on Pastor John one more time. Who's, you think the guy's got a good enough education, he can do it himself. <laughs> education is not in technology, it's in theology. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about microphones. <laughs> I need somebody dependent on me. I need somebody to know how it works. I need somebody to make it work for me. Glory to God. But you're not pinning on a microphone. What's he doing? Helping the message of the gospel go out. Everything you do in service to the king, it seems like you're just building a boat. Driving another peg. Remember, he built a boat in a, in a, in a world where there were no screws or nails. I don't know how it ever held it together. How it ever held it together it was amazing. But it did. And then he put elephants on the thing. To test it, I presume. But every kind of animal there was on it. Had them all, all the big ones on there. Had the rhino, the hippo, the elephant. I hope he spread them apart, don't you? Instead of all the weight on one end. And the boat looking like that. <laughs> Pardon where my mind goes. But he made it with the dimensions that they did not make boats in that day. And the, even after that, they didn't make boats that, that way for 4,000 years. They were always wider and shorter. He made one like God said, and he knew it would handle the waves of a cataclysmic worldwide flood. Wow. Can you imagine how seasick those animals got at first? Ooh, I've never seen an animal throw up. I mean, an elephant throw up, but I bet it's something. <laughs> seen a dog throw up, and it's about 100 times bigger than that. Like 100 dogs at once throwing up. I don't know. It'd be awful. It'd be awful. But what's he doing? Oh, man, I can't believe I got elephant puke everywhere. No, 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 no. You're not enduring that. You're saving the world. You're saving the world. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. Why are you doing what you're doing? Some of you are in college right now. Some of you are in high school. You're thinking, oh, I just hate these tests. No, 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 no. This is, you're not taking a test. You're finishing a, you're finishing a goal for the prize of your life. You're not going to land a job to have a job. You're landing a job to be a witness, to have a station where you can be a witness for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Glory to God. We're out here to save the world. We have a commission, which is our mission. Our mission to take as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. That was the whole point. The endowment. Now listen to me. This was a, you read the instructions, read, read all that God told him to do with this ark. It was an impossible assignment. An impossible assignment. For one man and his three sons to make that, build that boat. I mean, it just seems impossible. With no screw guns, 
just pegs and wood. That's all they had. And ma wooden mallets. My, it boggles your mind. But they did it. And when it landed, that ark landed on top of a mountain called Ararat, which simply means the judgment is past. Come on, everybody say, Noah found grace. <laughs> Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's what it means to you. That's what grace really means. Its primary definition is the escape of judgment. And you have escaped judgment today if you're saved by grace. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your power to save. I thank you for this thing called grace. And we praise the glory of your grace today that you brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous, marvelous light. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, for every person here under the sound of my voice, that the grace of God is for them, is to them, and is working in them today, empowering us for supernatural service. You gave us this escape of judgment, and you gave us this endowment of power, and endowment of righteousness, but I also thank you, Lord, that you have given us this thing for service, this empowering for supernatural service. Grace makes us happy to work, happy to serve, knowing that every peg we drive is another moment closer to saving the world. And I ask you in Jesus' name, you give us a revelation of this. Give the people of God a, a revelation of what grace means. That grace is an empowering for supernatural service. I bless you in Jesus' name.